Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. What a way to finish our Lift at the Grammy series. You know, we were thinking about this. I love this song. And I was like, there's only one person I know that can pull this off. So we called him up. He said, yes. Why don't we give it up for Theo again? That was pretty cool. That was pretty good. That was more than pretty good. I wish you on Singapore Idol. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> because I'm not going to mention that. I was like, oh, um, we'll see about that. <laughs> no, real cool. Good, uh, good to see all of you guys here. And this is the final of Lift at the Grammys. And we really hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, you can listen to all the messages on our podcast, on our website. But we are finishing off today. This is the last um, week of this series. And then next week, we kick off a whole new uh, month and a whole new series. We've got Pastor Beck speaking next week. So I hope that you guys are going to be here. Uh, you know, as she was kind of preparing for it, and, and she she started to, to think about what she wanted to speak on. This is the most excited I've seen her uh, in gearing up for a message. So I think next week she's going to bring a bit of um, fire in her belly, shall we say. Is that going to be the way it is? It'll be good. Yeah, she's trying to tone it down now. But, but yeah, she's jumping out of her skin to speak next week. So that's going to be really cool. But today we, we look at this song, Lucas Graham, uh, who is a band, um, uh, performed this song seven years. And this was a record-breaking song. This, this was number one charting uh, across the world. And it broke records for how long it stayed number one. People love this song. And, and the thing about songs that really... Uh, sticking people's mind, I think it's more than just a tune. I believe that it's more than just uh, the singer's awesome vocals. But I think it's also about a story that resounds in each and every person. And that's why this song stayed number one for so long, because uh, there was just this sense that this song spoken to people. It was a story that people could relate to. And it was a story that people could go, oh, wow. Um, and, and it just reminded them about stuff. And uh, I, I, I looked into how this song was written and why it was written the way it was. And uh, a songwriter who's a lead singer, his name is Lucas Forge Hammer. I will not try to say his name again. Uh, I'm going to call him Lucas from now on. But just to let you know, Lucas Graham is the name of the band. And um, the lead singer, his name is Lucas. And we'll leave it at that. And, and Lucas grew up in a town called Christiana in Copenhagen. And if you uh, search up Christiana, it actually appears on certain travel sites as a must-go place because it is a -a one-of-a-kind, unique town in Denmark. And and the reason for it is that it is uh, known to be a self-proclaimed autonomous community. It is one of the last surviving hippie communities left in the world. True hippie communities, they, they do not really uh, subscribe to any political or legal system. They are self-governing, even though they do not believe in governance, and uh, that, that's the way it is. And, and so Lucas and his mates, they grew up in this town, and there's this uh, strip in the town called Pushes Street, Pushes Lane. And you can go to that lane and literally have a whole bunch of drug stores, if you get what I mean, and you can choose your marijuana of choice. They have kicked out all the hard drugs in the town. There's only marijuana, but you can. there is an abundance of marijuana. I am not saying you should go for that. Uh, your past, I'm just explaining to you the environment that 
Lucas Graham grew up in, and that's why he was saying by the age of 12, he, he was exposed to these drugs, but he was also exposed to an environment where hard drugs was not a good thing. They only subscribed to marijuana, and uh, because of the way that the town run as well, uh, there were criminals that were running away from the law, and they would uh, camp in this town because the, the police, and uh, they had jurisdiction, but it wasn't welcomed. And so they would hide over there. And what that resulted in was that uh, the cops would raid the town. They would come in and try to find these criminals and would end up having full-on um, fights with the local residents who didn't appreciate the cops coming through. And so that was kind of like the cauldron of uh, culture that Lucas Graham was growing up in. And, and with that, you can hear through this song, his parents, who are probably more of the peace-loving hippie side rather than the criminals, their words really impacted his life. They, they, they really spoke something into him that made him continue to remember those words. In particular, I found like uh, their principle around relationships was something that he hold very dear. He was talking about uh, making friends, uh, and he, he even wrote about how his dad taught him how to treat a woman, how if she said no, it meant no, and how uh, she, uh, she should feel protected and safe in his care, and it was something that he, as he was writing about why he wrote this song, or, or what were some of the influences, he was saying, this is something that boys should be learning today, and I think it's true. I think it's really great, and he even writes about how he finishes the song at 60 years because his dad lives till 61. And for him, that's uh, such a key influence that he goes, I don't know if I should be thinking beyond 60. My dad got 61. And, and these are all the influences that, that shaped him and formed him as a human being. And it, I couldn't help but start to think about myself. You know, I grew up in Singapore for 15 years. I went through the education system, moved across in 2001 to Perth, spent three years here. And that was a massive shift. That was a life-defining moment where I went from a Singapore culture to an Australian culture, had to learn a whole new way of living, how people behave, had to learn a whole new way of speaking. That was something that was a little bit more difficult. And, and for three years uh, doing that, and then going back to Singapore again for two years to do my national service, it, it was a tough time. I didn't like it. I remember that every week when I went back to the army camp, I would literally cross off a week of dates on the calendar. I was literally counting down the days till I could come back to Perth. I marked it out that people thought that I was crazy to do that. It's like two years is a long time. I was like, well, wait till you see my diary at the end of two years. And, and literally I did that. And I, I finished those two years, survived, came back to Perth uh, in my studies and, and, and started working in church. And I can see that there were so many pivotal moments in my life, being born into the family that I was born into. But as I started thinking about that, something hit me, that a lot of us think about certain events in our life as an event that made me. Do you get what I mean? Have you ever spoken to a person or ever even said to someone as you were relating an experience in your life, that experience made me who I am today? And I'm someone who's said that many times. I said, man, that experience made me. Moving to Perth is an experience that made me the person that I am today. But as I was thinking about that, do experiences really have that much power over my life? How is it that you can get two identical twins drawn up in the same family, 
in the same experiences, but can turn out in completely different ways. Or even just siblings. I've got two nephews that I love, and they, they are four and six, if I'm not wrong, or is it three and five? I lose count. They're growing up way too quick. As an uncle, I see them every couple of weeks, and it's like, ooh, you've grown, and, or you've lost another tooth, which is probably more the stage that they're in right now. And, and they couldn't be more different. Even though they're going through similar, uh, 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 growing up in a similar environment with similar experiences, moving houses, going to school and all of that, they have completely different personalities. They have a completely different viewpoint on life. Judah thinks that everything is safe and everything is fun and people are great to be around and he will play with people. Ben takes about three years to warm up to you. He will sit in the corner and he won't even want to look in your eyes. He thinks you're Medusa or something. And they grew up in the same family, with the same parents, in the same church, both going to school now, but they have different personalities. Why? Because maybe experiences don't have as much of a hold on the person that you are becoming as we give to them. In fact, Jesus says this, uh, sorry, not Jesus, the Bible says this, so indirectly Jesus says it, uh, but in Proverbs 14 verse 15, it says, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. When was the last time you gave thought to your steps? When was the last time you thought about your experiences and what you are going through and when? Is this wise or is this not? Or are you a bit more like the simple person, which I would admit that that's a a viewpoint that many of us give in our lives and our culture gives to us. It says you were born that way. You were given those experiences and that makes you who you are. So you might as well just go with the flow. And I don't think that that's what the Bible teaches us about how we are meant to live. Maybe think about it this way. It's a 36 degree day nice and hot, and you think, beach weather. This is the best time to go to the beach. You get a day off, you ring up a few mates and say, let's go to the beach. You go to the beach, uh, you get all your stuff out, put it on the hot sand, and um, hot leg it all the way into the water, rush into the water, and you spend the next 20 to 30 minutes in the water having the best time of your life, relaxing, chilling out, throwing a ball around, wrestling, whatever it is that you do in the water. Half an hour later, you're like, okay, I had enough of the water, and you get out, You walk straight out to the beach, you go to where your stuff is supposed to be, and it's not there anymore. Shock horror. It's not there. You think someone has nicked it. You think that someone has taken your stuff. I think there's some smart people that know where I'm going with this. But you call out to your mates, like, someone's taken our stuff. They all come out of the water, they look at it, and there was only one prudent, smart person that looks to the left and about 20 meters down the beach, there your stuff is. You go into the water, playing around, and this subtle, unseen current is pushing you along without you knowing, so that if you are not giving thought to your steps, you will think that you have completely lost it that you have got no idea where anything is supposed to be, that you think that you've lost something, and you go, what is going on? But our lives are similar. Our experiences and our culture is pushing in a certain direction. But it doesn't mean that you have to go along with it. It simply means that you have to know what it's trying to tell you, and more importantly, what God is trying to tell you. You have to give thought to your steps. 
See, Jesus, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, to 23. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I, I'm pretty sure that Jesus wasn't talking about your natural eyes. I've seen blind people that live lives full of light, full of hope. I don't think he was talking about if you're blind, you're stuffed. He was talking about eyes to your soul your eyes to your heart. And he was saying, if your eyes are full of light, then you're going to be full of light. What Jesus was talking about is that we have a filter over how we see things. We have the ability to choose what we are allowing things to speak to us and say to us in our soul. What is important and what we are letting through and what is important to stay out and to keep it out. We have choice over whether our eyes are light or dark. And in my life, I realized this only last year, still very new to me, still learning a lot about it. But, you know, last year was a great year. Things were, were going well, and, and um, I, I thought Lyft was going great. Lyft is practically um, begs in my world for most of the week. We're thinking about it. We're dreaming about it. We're praying about it. And, and Lyft was going well. We were hitting in a, a good season, a growth season, and we were feeling good about things. And I was just catching up with the mentor, and, and as we were chatting about stuff, he, he asked me a question. He said, how do you know uh, whether you are healthy or not. And I started to say, well, you know, Lyft has grown by 20% in the last few weeks. And, you know, we, we've seen our finances stabilize around here and, and this and that. And he was like, well, that's good. You know, it's good that, that that's all happening in Lyft. But how do you know whether you are healthy or not? And, and I was getting annoyed. I was getting annoyed because it's like, I just told you, man. It was like, not buying your coffee next time. You know, it was one of those moments where I was like, what are you trying to say? What, is the, what are you trying to say about me? And uh, uh, as we went back and forth, I got more and more upset about it. I, I came back home and I spent three days sucking around for a little bit. And I realized that I had a filter over my soul that was a faulty filter. If I say that too many times, I'm probably going to say something wrong. But I had a faulty filter over my soul. And that faulty filter, I've got to find a new way to say that in the next two minutes. Um, that filter came from me growing up in Singapore. It came from a place where in Singapore, everything is about achievement. You need to achieve in order to stay ahead. If you don't achieve in your grades, in sport, in, in whatever sector, technically most of the time is academia, if you don't succeed in it, if you don't achieve things in that, you are going to fall behind. And so our gauge on how well we were doing as students was never how much we were learning, but how much we were achieving. Whether we were getting those grades that meant that we were doing well, or whether we were not achieving those grades, just meant that all the effort that you spend, it doesn't matter whether you spend 15 hours or three hours. If your grade was lower, you are not achieving, which meant that you are a bad student. That was what I grew up with. 
For 15 years, I came to Perth, and it was like a whole new world. It's like, I can open your eyes. It was like things were completely different. You know, I, had, I, 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 I moved over when I was 15. I started year 11 in, in the year later, and I didn't need a lot of science units for what I wanted to do in uni, so I chose to do this unit called physical science. I don't think it's still available because I think they realized how dumb a unit it was. Uh, but physical science was promoted it as a halfway between physics and chem unit. So you learn both physics and chemistry, but in reality, it was uh, the science unit for people that didn't like science. And I didn't know that, so I did it. And it real, I'm not even joking, I was top of that class. I, I was uh, scooping up all the awards for that class. I was always top, but I had a secret. Everything that was being taught in that class, I had already learned before in Singapore. Uh. Singapore pushed me so far that I was top of the class because it was revision for me. It wasn't learning for me. And I'm, I'm still, like, I didn't tell anyone about that because it made me look good. I'm like, hey, I got a Ducks Award. It's like, for what? For something that was revision, whereas for everyone is news. Like, so, you know, completely different. And I saw how teachers were trying to find the, the type of student, oh, you're really good at your hands, maybe you should go into woodwork or metalwork. That never happened in Singapore. If you want to do woodwork, you'll be ostracized. You want to be a laborer? You, you want to go into that stuff? Where's your kind of path? It's like, you want to be a laborer. <laughs> you get paid so much better. Talk to all the academic people in this room. It's like, what are you doing? Go put some bricks on top of each other and you get paid three times as much. You know, it's, it's a whole new world, a whole different world. But I grew up and I didn't know that I started to have a filter of achievement over my soul. And so as I grew up and I started working, that filter started to work as what filters do. And I started to see my identity rooted in how much I achieved. And at that point, because I was achieving okay, I felt okay. I felt like things were going well. I felt like I was doing all right. But my mentor was telling me, that there's a faulty filter in that soul. And I, as I thought about it, I started to realize that that filter had allowed darkness in, into, in, into times. Um, I, I, I could recognize it. You know, I, I started to uh, compare. I started to compete without even saying it or without telling anyone. Uh, I would take our Facebook page and, and the photos of our latest baptism and I would compare it to another church that had a baptism. So we had three more likes. Yes. <laughs> we are doing well. You know that, that, that Instagram post of the next series that we're doing, it had five more likes than that other church that's been going for six more months. You think it's dumb. You do it. All of us do it. Making me feel bad. That's the filter talking again. I'm still dealing with it. But, you know, I, I started to think and compare. I started, when I talked to other people, it was always about how do I measure up against you? How is that going? And I, I realized that there were times, nothing too bad yet, but there, there were times where, where, because things weren't quite going according to expectation, it affected my mood. It affected my experience of life. It affected the way I saw myself. It affected the balance of light and darkness, if you will, in my soul. 
And when this mentor of mine was telling me that I was using the wrong filter, I started to think about it, and I realized I can change. I don't have to have that filter over me. I don't have to have you rock up for me to feel good about myself. I don't have to measure up myself against someone else because that's a faulty filter. The right filter is me knowing who is accepting me and the importance that I'm giving to that person. So if you're nothing to me, whatever you say about me doesn't matter. If I don't know you from a bar of soap, your words mean nothing to me. But if you are my creator and my God who designed me from scratch and gave me a plan and a purpose in life, and if he says that he loves me, I must be doing all right. You see, we allow our experiences and our culture and what people tell us to become a filter over our soul. And we start allowing darkness in and we think it's just normal. We think that this is just the way that it should be. But really, should it be that way? You know, Jesus had a conversation with a man. Uh, the Bible calls him a rich young ruler. You can read about it in Matthew 19. And, and Jesus was talking to this, actually this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and this, and this ruler says to Jesus, he, he, was, he had youth, he had money, he had power, he had everything that he really wanted, but he spoke to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, obey all the commandments. He asked, what are the commandments? Jesus told him the commandments and this is what he says, get this. He says, all those I have done, what am I still lacking? What am I still lacking? You can read about this in the Bible. I'm not making this up. This man had everything. He had morality on top of it. He was a good person. But he realized that there was something that he was still lacking. He saw what he was lacking in Jesus. The filter couldn't stop Jesus' light from coming in. He saw, wow, that guy has got something that I don't have. He's got a life that I want to have. And all these things that I've built for myself, they are not really giving me the light that that guy has got. And so he finds his way to Jesus. He asks Jesus, what am I lacking? And Jesus looks at him with compassion. And he says to this young man, he says, if you sell all your possessions and give it all to the poor, then follow me, you will get whatever it is that you are truly looking for. That young man could not, would not take responsibility for that filter over his soul. He still held money, power, prestige over the light that he saw in Jesus, and he rejected Jesus and walked away. That man walked away sad. That man walked away empty. That man walked away with darkness inside of his soul because he was not willing to see what was light. He wasn't ready to change his perspective. And the truth is, many of us, when Jesus begins to put a finger on your heart, when he starts to show you that there are certain ways of thinking and doing things that are not quite right, I know I reject him. Because it's easier to go along with the flow. It's easier to allow the currents of life to keep pushing you along and to see things the way that seems natural. But God's calling us to a different kind of life. God's calling us to a higher kind of life. I don't know about you, but I realize that my filter of achievement 
is going to bring me down at some stage in my life. I've seen pastors crash and burn because of the wrong filters. I've seen pastors who have been serving for decades end up in an adulterous affair because they had the wrong filter over their soul. I've seen people with so much potential, with God's hand on their life, crash and burn because of the wrong filter, the wrong way of seeing things. Well, the Bible tells us in Romans 12 verse 2, do not be conformed to the ways of this world. Do not be conformed. The world wants to push you in a certain direction. But that's not the way to live. The way to live is to allow a renewing of your mind, a renewal of those filters over your heart to allow you to see what is truly important. Look at what it says at the end. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Who wants a perfect life? Who wants a life that is full of light? Who wants a life that is full of meaning and purpose? You're not going to get it following the currents of the world. You're going to find it when you know the right filters. When you are able to see what God is truly saying is important. When you allow that to be renewed and changed. How are your filters going this morning? Have you started to see that there are certain experiences, certain cultures that have seeped in into your soul and started to dictate to you how you're supposed to see things? Maybe you see relationships in a certain way. I know that this was another filter that was wrong in my life. I thought that I could find true value and worth by being in a romantic relationship. That didn't bring real light. It didn't. I ended up pushing the girl away because of my brokenness. Is it through your job? Is it through earning a certain amount of money? When I get to that place, then I'll be happy. I've seen people do that, they get to that place, they're still not happy, they're still not satisfied. Maybe it's when I do that, or maybe it's when I have this, or maybe, maybe you know, all those filters, maybe when I see this happen in my life. I know people that have made bargains with God, say, God, if you do this in my life, then I'll know that you're real. It's like, why are you even saying that prayer if God's not real? Why is it that we've got such darkness that we allow into our soul and we see in the distance Jesus and he's the light bringer. He's the hope bringer. He's bringing something that I know that I'm lacking, but I'm still not willing because I'm too scared. My past is still holding me back. Well, your past doesn't have to define you. Your, your experiences don't have to define you. You just need to allow God to define you. And that's not an easy process. It's not a simple process. But what Philippians 3, 13 to 16 tells us, and this is Paul the Apostle talking. This is one of the super Christians that you find in the Bible. This man's done crazy, amazing things, even allowed himself to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. And this is what he says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. In other words, he's saying, I've not got there yet. I'm still trying to live this out. <laughs> there are still things that I'm working on. I've not made it. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, straining forward. He doesn't say uh, uh, going with the flow. He, he, he's going against the current. He's forgetting the past, which is pulling him in a certain direction. And he's saying, I'm straining forward for the upward tries of knowing God, 
of knowing Christ Jesus. And, and, and that's the thing. When we want to find Jesus, we actually are in a position where we are having to strain for it. We're having to push for it. Why? Because your experiences, the things that people tell you, are most likely going to try to drag you down, try to pull you down. And you know what? You can't control those experiences. You can't determine to uh, uh, not let that thing happen to you. They will happen to you. But what the choice that you have is in the direction that you are facing, the filter that you're having over your soul. I am pressing forward to the prize, uh, toward the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he says this, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Our maturity is our ability to determine and to filter what is truth and what is lies. Our maturity lies in the ability to change that filter, our ability to change our perspective, our ability to see Christ even in the midst of a storm, to see Christ even in the midst of a darkness in your soul is, is, is a maturity that, that, that strains forward to Christ even though things are not going your way necessarily. And he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. I hope that through this morning that you're starting to get a stirring in your spirit, uh, looking over of your heart. What if... What has what spoken to you that you have allowed to stay? What, what has been spoken over your life that has become a filter? What experiences have you gone through that you allowed to define you? This is who I am. This is how it works. What kind of personality have you decided to take on? Because of what the world is saying. Are you in a position of health? In a position of light? Or have you let darkness into your soul? Can we get the band up this morning? And I was really struggling about how to end this morning. Because I like practical. I like... I like saying, this week, try this out. Do, do this. Step into Christ. Do all this habit stuff. And, and I, I believe in it. I really hope that this morning puts you into a place where there's a bit of dissonance, where there's a bit of a disconnect. Like, yeah, why? Why do I think that way? Why do I do things that way? Why do I need that? Why, why, do, I need, why do I need to hang out with those friends? Why do I need to see things this way? Why am I a perfectionist? There's some people in this room. You need to hear this. Why are you a perfectionist? Why do you need to do things in that kind of a way? Is it because it's the true way of doing things? Or is it because someone somewhere along the line told you you weren't good enough? told you that you needed to up your game told you that you were broken or made you feel like you were broken and so you're like I'm never gonna fail again and so you stop taking risks in your life because you are so scared that people are gonna see who you are on the inside when the truth on the matter is that Christ said that even while you were a sinner, I died for you. You don't have to worry about those lies. You don't have to worry about their opinions. I said that you are good. I said that you are full of value. I said that you are full of worth. I said that I have chosen you and I want you. We Christians, 
We stick ourselves in stupid baskets. I'm not good enough. And I've still got that sin in my life. And I can't serve God. I can't step forward into all that stuff unless I get there. My wife will never accept me unless I deal with this stuff. We end up with all these filters that bring darkness into our soul. And Christ is standing there, the light bringer, the hope bringer. And He's saying, come on, let those things go. You know, the thing I love about Christ is that He lets us choose. We would not have a relationship with God if He chose for us. If God could circumvent your will, twist you around and do the things that He wants you to do, He doesn't have a relationship with you. You've just simply become a puppet and He's a puppet master. But Christ so desires a relationship with you that He allows you, places the responsibility of choice on your shoulders. And He says, choose me. And then He gives us a whole book of promises. In me, you'll find life. In me, you find hope. In me, you find peace. In me, you find joy. In me, you find strength. In me, you find wholeness. In me, you find perfection. In me, you find righteousness. The list goes on and the list goes on. And He's standing in front of us. But sometimes because of our broken, faulty filters, we hold Him at arm's length and we say, it's too good to be true. Or, or, or we're like, but that's not how it works. Or that's not how I've been taught it's supposed to be. Some of us are leading broken lives with the darkness covering over our soul. When the light bringer is standing right in front of us. So even though I could talk to you about habits and things that you can and should be doing this morning, I feel like it's more about a morning that you respond to that light bringer. You respond to that hope bringer and say, yeah, I messed up. I, I read this thing the other day and it was a really interesting, insightful thing. There was this man who had multiple affairs with many different women. He was a married man and, and he was going around having these affairs and he was trying to stop. He's supposedly a Christian man and, and he wants to stop. And he went to this psychologist and, and was like, man, I want to change. I don't know why I keep going back to that lifestyle. And um, the psychologist said, no, you don't. You don't want to change. You don't want to change. And he was like, what? What are you talking about? Of course I want to change. So I know that this is sinful. I know that this is wrong. The psychologist said, no, but you don't want to change. You don't. There's that brokenness in you that loves those affairs. Feel like they make you feel better. I'm guessing the man had a wow moment and ended up saying to, to God, God, I, I want those affairs more than I want my wife. I want my sinful life more than the life that you have got for me. But I know that that's not the way it's supposed to be. So, so help me, God. That was the turnaround moment where 
he accepted that there was a faulty filter inside of his soul. And he's saying, I need help. The thing about our faulty filters is that quite often we need God and we need the family of God to help us with it. I had a mentor that even though I was, in many people's opinion, doing well as a pastor, he wanted me to know that the results I was getting from Lyft wasn't the right definition of health for my soul. And so he said something, even though it was countercultural, even though it was against what other people were saying. And he said to me, come on, come on, Nate, I want health for you. In the same way this morning, I hope that you're having a stirring in your spirit, that there's something that goes, I have let darkness become the defining filter over my soul and over my heart. And this morning, I hope that you will respond to God and say, God, I've got some faulty filters. You know what? I want, I want a bigger church rather than a healthier church sometimes. I want this place to be filled from front to back because it'll make me feel good. I acknowledge that. But as I come to God, the light bringer, He's shown me, yeah, you might want that. But that's not what you should be really desiring. And so there is a leaving of what is behind and a straining forward to my light bringer, to my hope. Can we stand this morning? At the end of this series, I hope that you've received lots. But really, I think that this is a defining moment for some of you guys. Because I believe that this morning, some of you need to say yes to God, or at least strain forward towards God even though there are things holding you back. And this morning, if we could just close our eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit, speak. Speak into every person. Speak into every heart. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.